This week I was checking out something called bodybuilding. And of course, uh, bodybuilding is very significant. Uh, it's not only amateurs and there are professionals and then world competitions. And it's, it's a major piece with bodybuilders. And I know y'all used to stuff coming up on the screen. I'm not putting those bodybuilders on the screen. Uh, some of y'all gonna be so distracted, y'all gonna miss the point of what I'm trying to get across. But it's, I mean, there's so much to bodybuilding. I, I had no idea how much goes into bodybuilding, especially when it comes to competition. But it, it, it all boils down to three things. You know, it's, it's so much to it that they boil it down to three things so that people like us can understand it. Train hard, eat clean, rest well. Now, there's a lot under all of that, but they say with bodybuilding, when you train hard, you eat clean, you rest well, then when you have to present your body in that public forum, the judges will be able to tell your, your, your muscle, your mass, um, the, the fat or lack thereof, body fat and all that kind of stuff, tones. It's so much to it, but those three things. And when, when I was reading that, I was thinking about what the scriptures say to us. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the young preacher Timothy, he said that training hard for your body is good, but training hard for godliness is even better. And then, of course, in bodybuilding, they said, you got to eat clean. Well, Paul says that we got to move from the sincere milk of the word and start eating the meat of the word. And then Moses said, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. And the psalmist said, that the Lord gives his beloved sleep. So we have to sleep well. And when we do that in the spiritual, when we train hard for godliness, when we eat the meat of God's word, when we remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, when we go to present our bodies at work and school and community and home, then we'll be able to present it in a way that God gets the glory and the kingdom gets advanced and we get blessed. Here's what I want to preach about today. You are the body of Christ. That's what I want to talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. This is from the New International Version. Listen to how God's word reads. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. This is the Apostle Paul. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Amen. Amen. The Apostle Paul uh, in, in chapter 1, he gets, a, he gets a communication from King James Version, the house of Chloe, or the household, the family of Chloe communicates with the Apostle Paul. This is one of the churches when he had that vision, when the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't let them go certain places and the Holy Spirit prevented them from going, they had the vision, come on over into Macedonia and help us. Well, Paul went over into Macedonia uh, with Luke and Silas and, and a young preacher named Timothy, and then they went to Macedonia, and they, they went to different places. Corinth is one of the places they went to. And they preached the word and taught the word. Souls got saved, lives got changed, and, a, and Christians came. A, a church was raised up there. And so the apostle Paul stayed in contact with the church even after he left. And Chloe sent him a message through Twitter and said, hey, we got some issues here and and so she hit him up on text and when she texted him she said there are devilish divisions that are going on 
in the church in Corinth. And so Paul texts her back. That's why when preachers get up and say, my text for the day, that's what that is. He, he texts her back, and what we have in front of us is the text that Paul sent to the believers that were in Corinth in the face of devilish divisions. He said, I need you all to understand that you are the body of Christ. Now, if we're going to understand us being the body of Christ, we really got to get in our minds that Christ is the head of the church. That's what Paul, in, in, in Colossians, he says that Christ is the head of the church. He wrote to the believers at Ephesus, Christ is the head of the church. Because I don't want us to get this confused. We are the body of, of Christ. Christ is the head of the body. And it's not speaking to everybody. I know in verse 27, it says, now, you are the body of Christ. You got to know who he's talking to. In verse 13, he says, for we were all baptized by one spirit into the body. This is not universalism. This is not because God loves everybody, everybody going to heaven. Y'all, everybody talking about heaven ain't going. It's those, verse 13, who've been baptized into the body of Christ. Now you are Christ embodied. It's not everybody. When you believe Jesus down on the cross, you believe God raised him from the dead, at that very moment, the Holy Spirit baptizes you into the body. It doesn't say you shall be baptized by the Spirit. No, you were baptized. When you believe Jesus down on the cross, you believe God raised him from the dead, you were baptized. You were baptizo. You were submerged. You were immersed into the body of Christ, right? And not only did, did he put you in Christ's body, but Christ moved in your body in the Holy Spirit. The moment you believe, the Holy Spirit moved in your body. That's why in chapter 6 he says, don't you know your body is the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Those are the ones he's saying, you're the body of Christ. But he reminds us too, Christ is the head. And since Christ is the head, we're the body. In your physical body, your body is dependent upon the head. That's what he's trying to tell us as the church, as the body of Christ, we're dependent upon the head. Well, Christ is the head. And not only, that's why people who try to disconnect from the church and disconnect from Christians, because, you know, I'm saved and I'm saved all by myself. That's not what the text says. Text says you've been baptized in his body. Well, we all been baptized in his body, those of us who are believers, so you ain't all by yourself. So when you're all by yourself, a disconnect from us, you also disconnected from the head. And you're too dependent on the head to be disconnected from the head. Y'all got to say amen to let me know y'all getting this. So we're not just dependent upon the head. The, your body is directed by your head. Your head dictates to your body what your body is going to do. It's the same way in the body. Y'all, the body doesn't dictate to the head. The head directs the body. We got people telling Jesus, here's where I want to live. Here's the church I want to go to. Here's the man I want to marry. Here's the woman I want to marry. Here's the ministry I want to be in. Here's how much money I want to give. Here's what I want to give towards. Y'all, the body doesn't direct the head. The head directs the body. Y'all, your legs don't send a message to the brain where they're getting ready to go. Your brain sends a message. Y'all ain't helping me preach this. Your brain sends a message to your legs. That's what Christ does to us. He tells us that, that, that the church, he says, listen, upon this rock I build the church. Gates of hell shall not prevail. 
That's a, that's a directive to the body. Don't forsake the assembling yourselves together as some do. That's not the body telling the head what I'm going to do. That's the head telling the body. Bring the tithe. It, not a tip. You can't say, well, I'm going through, so I'm a tip. You don't direct the head. The head directs the body. So I'm, I hope y'all getting this. Because when you decide, because I'm a Christian, I don't need a connection with the church. The church is the body, so you're disconnected from the body, which means you're also disconnecting with the head. Well, I got it right with Jesus and just me and Jesus. No, that would be just you and Jesus, so it's just you who's a part of a body. You're not the whole body. And now a head. So you got a head and a part of the body. And you done left us over here with no head. Man, when I was in, Lady Sharon and I went to Israel a couple of years ago, and I love my trip to Israel. Man, they took us to where we, could, we walked where Jesus walked. We saw what Jesus saw. And, and one of our teachers was Dr. Joel Gregory. And he's a major professor, great preacher. And so we go to the hills where Jesus multiplied the bread and the fish. And, 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 and we sit there. He'd talk about what the scenery was and what all that meant out of the word of God. Then we go to Capernaum where the man, they tore up the roof and lowered the man down. Son, your sins are forgiven. And he got up and walked. He talked about all that. I love that. And he started talking about the body of Christ. And he said that right now there are those who are doing head transplants. I thought he was joking because when I was a kid, remember the incredible two-headed transplant, Rosie Greer? Y'all remember that? Anyway, I thought he was joking. No, right now there's a doctor and others doing research on how to do a head transplant. They're going to take the head off of somebody whose body doesn't work right. Take that head, put it on the body of a person whose head brain dead, but their body works. It's a head transplant that's what they working on right now and i'm with joel on this who gonna volunteer to be the first one to see if this gonna happen now i don't know if they're gonna get that right in the physical but that's not what paul meant in the spiritual you can't be over here all by yourself with christ ahead you got to be connected with the body and christ is the head and we depend on christ we're directed by christ because you and i are the body of Christ. Wait a minute, here's what he's also trying to show us. He's trying to show us that as the body of Christ, this is about connectivity. This is about unity. This is about oneness. Listen to what it says in verse 26. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. When it talks about the body of Christ, this is social. This is, this is not me by myself doing my own thing in the kingdom. This is about unity. This is about us coming together. When, when the family of Chloe uh, sent that Instagram to, to Paul about the division, they were talking about saints who were taking other saints to court and suing them. So Paul said, wait a minute. Y'all believers going to unbelievers to settle y'all's issues? He said, this is not, he was, they, were ta they told him sordid sexual sins were going on. There was a man, young man sleeping with his stepmother. Everybody at the church knew it, and nobody said anything. All that adultery, sleeping with prostitutes. He said, y'all affecting what unity is all about when it comes to Christianity. And, and so the family of Chloe is explaining all of this, and he says, here's the best way I can get this across to you. They, they sitting up here talking about, they had different pastors, right? And, and instead of just accepting all the pastors, they, they were saying, Chloe said, they're talking about, well, I'm of I'm the Apostle Paul. Another group said, I'm of Cephas. Another group said, I'm of Apollo. So Paul wrote to them and said, no, it's about unity. 
all of them are yours. You don't have to pick and choose which pastor you're going to tie in with. All of them are yours. That's, that's how I feel in the 21st century. And pastor Jay and I were talking last night. He said, Dad, when did you drop Baptist from our, the name of our church? I never dropped Baptist from the name of our church. It's always been a part of the name of our church for 100 years. What I stopped doing is stop saying it when I said the name of our church. And the reason I stopped that, and this was years ago, the reason I stopped it is because people would prejudge us. People like to label you to limit you. So as soon as you say, I'm Baptist, they think about the little Baptist church they grew up in 50 years ago, and they think we're like that. We're not like that. So if you want to know what we're like, then you have to show up at our church. We don't even put what denomination we are on there. Eastern Star Church, well, what kind of church are you? Well, we're a church that believe in salvation in Jesus Christ. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I know that, but what kind of church are you? Well, we're the kind of church that believe in operating in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in edifying, building up one another. We be- no, I, and I know when people do me like that, I know what they're talking about. But I'm not letting you put me in a trick bag. All things are mine. So they're asking me, no, what I mean is, are you Methodist? Are you Presbyterian? Are you, are you Church of God in Christ? Yes, I'm Methodist. Because I believe there's a methodology in getting good ministry done. Are you Presbyterian? Yes, I'm Presbyterian. Because I believe in hierarchy when it comes to operating in the things of God. Are you Pentecostal? Yes, I'm Pentecostal. Because I believe in operating in the gifts of the Spirit. Are you apostolic? Yes, I'm apostolic. I believe in the apostolic authority. Are you Church of God in Christ? Yes, I'm Church of God in Christ. I believe God was in Christ reconciling. Is there anybody that knows all things are yours? It's a trick of the enemy to get you to divide. So Paul said, let me explain what I mean in the simplest way that everybody can get it. You are the body of Christ. Verse 26, and when one of you suffer, all of you suffer. When one of you have it good, then all of us have it good because we're in the same body. I don't know why we can't get that in our heads. Here's what Paul told, uh, he, he wrote previously, and he said, listen, that you have to rejoice when one another rejoices, and you weep when one another weeps, because he's trying to show us the unity that we have within the body of Christ. When I hear people who claim to be Christians, and then they criticize that church ain't doing nothing, well, you're a Christian, you're not here, you don't serve, you don't give, you sit on the sideline doing nothing. Well, when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. If one part of your body decides, I'm not working anymore. It doesn't just affect the one part of the body that said, I'm not working anymore. Your whole body is affected by that. Because if one part of the body suffers, then the whole, I don't know why y'all not getting this today. Because when you don't operate the way you need to when you don't fit in the body that means you're not functioning in the body now we got people operating outside their gifted area to do what you're supposed to be doing while you criticizing us because you ain't doing what you're supposed to be doing okay y'all ain't say amen to that uh how can i put the oh 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 a blood vessel everybody everybody knows what a blood vessel is right and uh, we, we can tell when a blood vessel bursts when it's in somebody's eye. We've all seen that in somebody's eye. You can tell. I had a blood vessel to bust in my leg. Nobody could see it because I was hiding it. And I was actually running somewhere. I had no business running and ran into something that was unmovable. Hit my leg, 
I didn't know at the time it busted a blood vessel, and I thought I was fine. But a couple hours later, I could not walk because one blood vessel wasn't functioning in the body the way it was supposed to. So I had to hop into the hospital for them to check me out, then come out on crutches. Cause, and I, couldn't, I could barely do what I'm designed to do, all because one part of my body won't function right. When you decide that I'm going to do nothing in the kingdom of God, when you suffer the whole body, you know, matter of fact, in the body, we call that a disease. You know what disease is, right? It's two words, dis-ease. It's, it's when your body is not at ease functioning the way it's designed to function. And when you and I don't function in the body of Christ the way we're designed to function, that is disease. It's about unity that he's talking about. You are the body. Okay, y'all ain't saying amen to this. If y'all don't get connectivity, if y'all don't get unity, if you don't get oneness, why is it when we say, okay, let's pray the Lord's prayer together? If I say, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together, you ready? Yeah. Our Father, who art in, and he wasn't even praying then. Go back and reread it. He was teaching people how to pray. When you pray, say this, our Father. If you want the Lord's Prayer, you got to go to John 17. And in John 17, Jesus prayed, Father, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. And Lord, I pray that these might be one. The prayer that Jesus offered was not for you to get off all by yourself and do your own thing, but he prayed that we all might be one. I'm trying to get us to understand we're the body of Christ. I don't know if y'all remember the Adams family. I liked the Adams family. I liked it as a kid in the 70s. I didn't know I was watching reruns in the 70s. It actually came out as a TV program in the 60s. I'm watching it in the 70s. Uh, the Adams, y'all don't know the Adams family. Gomez, Morticia. Cousin It, Grandma, Wednesday, Pugsy. Y'all don't know the Adams family. They're creepy and they're spooky. They're mysterious and kooky. They're all together ooky. The Adams family, their house is a museum, and when people come to see them, they really are a scream. The Adams family. There was another member of the family called It. It's actually Thing. Thing. I want Thing, not It. Thing. Thing T. Thing is actually his full name. And they had a sign on the gate that said, beware of the thing. And thing was a detached hand. And, and thing would help Gomez, you know, come out of the box, light a cigar, run across the table, run a detached hand. In the movies, they upgraded it. He's on Gomez's head, trying to help him to deal with the suffering and the emotional stress he's going through. Thing. And that's the silliest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> a detached hand, not connected to a body, thinking it's going to function at a high level. That's how some of us look. I don't need the church. I don't need to be around nobody. That's, that's creepy and it's spooky. That's mysteriously kooky. It's altogether ooky. Do I have a witness in here? You are the body of Christ. I got to rush through this. The, you're the body of Christ is about capability. It's about ability. And I want to read this to you. Um, in verse 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, all these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. When, you, the Holy spirit, when we gave our faith to Jesus, the Holy Spirit baptized into the body of Christ. We're the body. Then the Holy Spirit moved inside of us 
and then he gives us capability and ability to accomplish the things in the kingdom of God. When God shows up, because people say, well, you know, Jeffrey Johnson's vision, it's not my vision. It's the Lord's vision revealed to this ministry. And some people think it can't get done. I know it can get done because the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to make sure it gets done. Jesus said in Acts 1 and 8 that you shall, the Holy Spirit should come upon you and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Deutimus, you shall receive dynamite, a dynamo, a dynamic. The Holy Spirit, that, that power that he gives us is the ability to get things done. So whenever God reveals something to a ministry, to a church, to a local body of Christ, then he gives us his Holy Spirit so that we have the ability to get things done. Here's how it happens. The same Spirit now distributes gifts to everybody who's in the body. Then that same Holy Spirit divides the gifts among everybody who's in the Bible. But it's also the Holy Spirit who determines who gets what gifts. So watch what the Holy, he, he, Holy Spirit puts you in the body of Christ, moved inside of you. Then he's given each of us, he, he, he's, the, he's, he's distributed gifts, divided the gifts, he's given to everybody. Every single believer has at least one gift. Now, every believer, no, no one believer has every gift. But every believer got at least one. So when we ask you, we need you working in ministry, we need you serving, don't be sitting around talking about, well, I would, but I don't have a gift. You do have a gift. It says it right here. The Holy Spirit distributed them. He gave them. He divided them among the body of Christ. So he gave you a spiritual gift. Now, you may need to spend some time trying to discover what that gift is and develop that gift, and then you can learn how to demonstrate that gift. But everybody has a gift. And I love this part. Text says, he determined, verse 11, who gets the gifts. You and I don't tell the Holy Spirit who ought to get what gift. And that's why we can't get jealous and envious. Of, no, let me, let me do it this way. We can't become arrogant and conceited about the gift we have. Because whatever gift you have, God gave it to you. The Holy Spirit determined it. God made that happen. The Spirit empowered you, enabled you, and equipped you, right? He determined it. How are you going to be arrogant over a gift? Somebody else gave it to you. And now we can't, let me get to the other side of that, we can't be jealous and envious of somebody's gift. How are you going to be jealous and envious? You mad at somebody about the gift they have. So you, you mad at me because I got a wife and four sons. And you mad at me because of the kind of house I live in. And you mad at me because of the kind of clothes I wear and my financial portfolio. And you mad at me about the kind of car I drive. You mad at me about the kind of ministry I have. You mad at me about how I can preach or teach or whatever that gift may be. You're mad at the wrong person. Every good and perfect gift, I don't know why y'all ain't helping me preach this, comes from above, it comes from God. So if you got an argument with anybody about a gift, it's not with the person sitting next to you. You need to argue with God. And you better be careful about arguing with God because he can cut that argument off at any time. Preach, Jeffrey Johnson, I'm doing the best I can. It's about ability. It's about capability. We're the body of Christ. He's given us gifts. The issue is we don't have an appreciation for the gift God has given us. We're, here's what my, my, 
my mentor who's gone on to glory, and I miss him so much, Dr. A. Lewis Perry. I promise I miss him. He says that all of us are born valuable originals, and then most of us die cheap copies. God made you an original, but you're spending your whole life trying to look like somebody else, act like somebody else, think like somebody else, live like somebody else, drive like somebody else. You're trying to be somebody else, which makes you a copy. And everybody knows that, y'all, a copy is not as valuable as an original. When you just be who and what God made you, that enhances your invaluability. Are y'all getting this? Be, stop trying to get somebody else's gift. The Holy Spirit has enough wisdom to know what gift to give to you and have an appreciation for that gift. You know, you, you go through different orchards and you got apples, you got oranges in the orchard, you got lemons, you got, you got all kind of fruit in the orchard. Well, here's what it says in Psalm 1, that you're able to produce fruit in your season. So you apples come in certain seasons, oranges in certain seasons, lemons. Here's why I'm saying that. Because some of y'all mad because you're looking at how much somebody else is producing and then you look at yourself and say, man, it ain't coming out like a, it just ain't your season yet. Because if you meditate in the word day and night, you're going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. You're going to bring forth your fruit, but it's not going to be in your neighbor's season. It's going to be in your season. But you got to appreciate who and what God made you? Here's what E.K. Bailey used to say. You got to bloom where you planted. You know how many people are streaming now? And you know how many people are in here now talking about how successful they would be if they were not where they are? If I wasn't in Indianapolis or Fishers, if I wasn't in Indiana, if I was in California or New York, y'all, you got to bloom where you planted sitting up here mad because somebody else is as sweet as a peach. I wish I was sweet like that. They so sweet. And I, no, God made you sour like a lemon. Just be the sour lemon God made you. Bloom where you planted. And why are you trying to be so sweet as a peach? Some of us don't like peaches. And if God made you sour as a lemon, I guarantee you he gave somebody the taste for lemonade. Do I have a witness in here? Bloom where you planted. Appreciate the gift God gave you. We're the body of Christ operating there. And here's the thing, and I got to move on to the last. Here's the thing. We're so busy looking at, and especially with the internet now, great preachers and teachers and singers and people doing ministry. It's incredible what people are doing around the world. And then we can bring them right to our smart device. And then we look at our little situation. And we think, look at all that stuff they're doing. How they got it together. They so tight. They, they, they got the wisdom. They got the nut. They got, y'all, and a lot of times it's not like that. What it is, is the power of the Holy Spirit in them, empowering them, equipping them, enabling them to get it done. I promise y'all, the stuff that God has used me to do in ministry, it was not under my own power and ability. It's the power of the Holy, and y'all ain't got to act like you did your stuff on your own either. That's why, that's why young believers and baby Christians and carnal Christians, they think something wrong with them. No, it's not anything wrong with you. Whatever's going on with you is going on with us. Okay, uh, I'll do it like this. In, in 2014, Paul George was playing for the USA basketball team. And um, that's when he was on the Pacers. And he, he playing in a game, USA, they were playing a, uh, a game. It wasn't even a real game exhibition game and Paul George came down wrong and broke his leg y'all remember that 
His leg was so badly broken till they stopped the game. They wouldn't even play it. They were afraid to move him because they thought it might make it worse. But the announcers were still talking on the television. And they said, Paul George ain't going to be able to play for the Pacers this year. This is in the summer. NBA don't even start till October. And they declared in the summer, he's so broken, he won't play in October. October came around. I'm sitting at the game. And then Paul George comes out. He's warming up with the team. He got his uniform on. He's shooting jumpers. He's high-fiving teammates. He's waving at us in the stand with a smile. And so all the media were blogging and tweeting, Paul George is here. He's got his uniform. He's warming up and all that. He didn't play in the game, though. But they, later on, they interviewed, because we thought he was getting ready to come back. They interviewed uh, Larry Bird, basketball opera, president of basketball operations for the Pacers. And here's what Larry Bird said. Don't y'all put too much into him warming up today and giving high fives and shooting jumpers and waving and smiling. Don't put too much into that because his leg is still broken. But what they've done, they put a pin inside his body to hold that leg together until it mends itself. Let me tell you what Larry Bird said. Don't put too much into what you're seeing. He's got his uniform on. He's waving and smiling. He's shooting jumpers. He got high fives with his teammates. But he's still broken. But his doctor put a pin in his, in his body to hold that brokenness together until it mends itself. When y'all see us up here preaching with our uniforms on and singing with our uniforms on and see believers waving and see us serving and don't put too much into that, we still got some brokenness. But God put the Holy Spirit in us to hold us together until we're restored. Do I have a witness? And I got one more and I'm done. You're the body of Christ. You're the body of Christ. And, and, it, and the church as the body of Christ is about desirability. Let me read the last verse. I got to rush this last. Verse 31. But eagerly desire the greater gifts. And then he goes on to talk about, I, there's a more excellent way I want to show you. Here, now in, in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, it's a list of spiritual gifts from prophecy to teaching to healing to speaking in tongues interpreting it's a list but that's not an exhaustive list I don't believe the apostle Paul sat down and said let me write down every single spiritual gift there is in the body that's not what he did he wrote down enough gifts to let you and I know that there's a diversity of gifts that there are different gifts in the body of Christ and it's actually that diversity that promotes unity if we were all one part of the body that would be a jacked up body wouldn't it you need different parts to operate different ways. So he didn't put in, there are other gifts of the spirit that are not mentioned in the text. But they were falling, they were boasting about what kind of gift they had and who's better than them. And Paul said, no, no, desire the best gifts. Then he said, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. He started talking about love. He said, I don't, chapter 13, I don't care what kind of tongues you speak in. If you don't have love, you just make a noise. I don't care how much money you give, you can burn your body for the kingdom. But if you don't have love, it ain't about nothing. All this, so he's, he's talking about desirability, but desiring the best gift, which he points to the more excellent way, which is love. But I want to talk just a moment about the power of desire. He said, desire the best gift. Y'all, some of us aren't accomplishing anything, not because you don't have capability and ability. We know you got that. The Holy Spirit gave it to you. What you don't have is desirability. When people sit on the sideline doing nothing, it's not because you can't, it's because you won't. And you won't do it because you don't desire to do it. 
you come up with all these excuses and who's leading and they said this to me and they don't like me and they looked at me wrong. When you get through with all of that, you just don't want to do it. And you came up with an excuse. And excuses build bridges to nowhere and monuments to nothing. That's what somebody said. There is the power in everybody who's successful is successful because they desired it. You don't stumble into success. Everybody who's prosperous, they're prosperous because they had a desire. They got tired of being broke. I don't want to be broke no more. I want to have some. Y'all ain't saying amen to me. Everybody who's educated, they're educated not because they're so smart. They wanted to be educated. Okay, y'all, out north, out here, I'm preaching about the metaphors of the church. Salt of the earth, light of the world. Y'all heard all of them, right? The body of, I'm preaching about metaphor. At the main location, I'm preaching messages of hope and miracles. And one of the ones I looked at was John 5. There was a man that was, that was paralyzed for 38 years. He hadn't been able to walk. Laying at, a, at, at this pool, waiting on the, this, this spring to spring up and the water move. Because they believe the first one in the water, when the water moves, is going to get healed. So here he is paralyzed. For 38 years, I don't know how long he was at the pool, but he'd been paralyzed 38 years laying at the pool. Everybody's out there, blind, halt, lame, everybody, deaf. Everybody's out there, weak, impotent, all that. Jesus shows up there. And when Jesus shows up, he walks past every... I don't have time. Y'all got to go online and get that sermon. I don't have time to figure out why did Jesus walk past everybody else and just go to that man? So he snuck past a blind man and stepped over a lame man and then got past a deaf man and walked up to this man. I think he did it because this man was the worst one out there. And Jesus is showing, if I can deliver the worst one of y'all, then the rest of y'all know I'm in the business of delivering people. When I preached it, here's, here's how I dealt with it. Jesus walked up on the man, 38 years, and said, do you want to be made whole? And the man said, well, you know, I don't have no man to help me. And when I try to get in... Somebody beats me. Jesus said, I didn't ask you all that. I asked you your desire. Do you want to be made whole? When I started reading the Bible when I was 15 years old, I thought Jesus was so insensitive. How you going to ask? He'd been, he been lame. He'd been paralyzed 38 years. He's laying, waiting on some water to move and somebody throw him in the water. And you're going to ask him, do you want to be made whole? I thought that was so insensitive when I was 15. When I turned 50, I said, that ain't insensitive. Do you want to be made whole? Because some folk don't want to be whole. Because when you're, when you're not whole, people feel sorry for you. What can I do for you? When you're not whole, people don't expect you to go to work. When you're not whole, they don't expect you to go to school. When you're not whole, they don't expect you to take care of yourself. When you're not whole, they don't expect you to pay your own bills. I don't know why y'all not helping me with this. Do you want this? Because when you become whole, then your excuses are eliminated and your expectations are elevated. I'm preaching and y'all ain't getting it. When you're whole, folk expect you to go to school, expect you to go to work, expect you to relate properly, expect you to serve in ministry, expect you to give in Do you want this? Do you really want to be a Christian? Do you really want to be saved? 
Do you really want to be a part of the body of Christ? Do you really want the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you want to be a part of a ministry? Do you want to be a part of a Christian family? Do you want to be made whole? There's power in desire. I got to close it. I got to close. I don't want to. I got to close. Um, oh, 1986-87. Uh, Charles Barkley. You know, he's only six. I met Charles Barkley in Atlanta. He's only 6'4". He's two inches taller than me. He was listed at 6'6". He's 6'4". And he led the league in rebounding. He led the league in rebounding. The shortest person in the history of the NBA to lead the league in rebounding at 6'4". At that time, in 86-87, the average height in the NBA was 6'8". He had a teammate that was 7'6". Manute Bull, y'all remember him? Manute Bull didn't lead the league in rebounds. 6'4", shortest person, 14.6 rebounds a game. And they asked Barkley, how were you able to do that? He said, it wasn't about blocking out. It wasn't about trying to be the first one. It wasn't none of that. He said, the reason why I could lead the league in rebound, because I wanted it more than everybody else. And not, wait, not only did he come short, but he, he wasn't in shape to rebound. We called him the round bound. Of, but he said, it wasn't my height. It wasn't my size. It wasn't my technique. I wanted it more than everybody else. There is the power in desire. If you want it, go get it. If you want to be that, become that. If you want to acquire it, stop waiting on somebody else to give it. Harriet Tubman says, stop waiting on somebody to give you an opportunity. Make your own opportunity. Do I, wanna, do I have a witness in here? Y'all, I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to be one of his disciples. I want to be what Jesus wants me to be. What do I have to do? Where do I have to go? What do I have to say each and every day? Because I want to be a follower of Christ. Come on, stand with me. Stand with me. I tried to make it as clear as I possibly could.